dear lord thank you for today thank you for another opportunity we get to study to learn and to grow through the teaching of your word thank you for all we've learned in first timothy so far i pray that even as we start today's teaching i pray that our minds and our hearts are open to the truths of your word i pray that our hearts are receptive and i pray that there is clarity and there is truth and that we're able to apply it to our lives in jesus name amen 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 good morning afternoon evening everyone hi delight hi damola good to see you guys um hope we're doing well hope we're feeling we're ready for for today's for today's teaching um today we're starting from first timothy chapter four uh we completed chapter three last week um we talked about the qualifications for elders qualifications for deacons the mystery of godliness and today we're just going on in that same line um just looking at what what else can we learn um from paul's advice to to timothy and i think beginning from today like especially chapter four and chapter six you're going to there's something i want us to always remember many times when we read first timothy i'm glad to hear that i'm glad to hear you're doing well um when we read first timothy and there's always that assumption or i mean and rightfully so it's not a wrong assumption right that this is in a sense a minister's manual but then what that means is that for some people it's very easy to gloss over a lot of the content because you're like oh i'm not in full-time ministry i'm not choosing elders i'm not laying hands on anyone i'm not uh, i'm not rationing how much should the widows in my church get so how much of first timothy really applies to me and one of the things that first timothy chapter 4 will let you know is that and we've talked about it right that at the end of the day ministry gifts are not set up all by themselves they are not like oh god give gifts and they are they are in a in a in a certain um oh that's amazing <laughs> i'm glad to hear that i'm glad you read it even before coming as like a star student right see I'm, how many of you have read chapter five i say i've read it sir <laughs> but yes um ministry gifts are not set up in a pedestal all by themselves where we just look at them or like oh they have their own routine they have their own life they have their own they're, just, they're on their own and we just learn at the end of the day and we talked about it i believe i don't know which part of first timothy they are an example more than anything else yes they are gifts to us but what is what is what is the gift supposed to accomplish it is to make us like them in a sense right not not in the sense in which they are perfect standards because at the end of the day beyond the gifting they still are accountable in terms of devotion in character they have their flaws their things they are learning but the goal is to use whatever gifts they have to help everyone gain maturity in their area of gifting i don't know if that makes sense and so for a teacher god has gifted that or a pastor god has gifted them or given them as a gift to shepherd the body to teach the body for starters they definitely aren't perfect i think anyone that has interacted with anybody in the church knows that we're all people 
who are growing by the grace of God. But there is a sense in which it, with that gift they've received, it is to help everyone. So, for instance, a teacher is to help everyone mature in the word so that everyone else can, can teach others. That's what Ephesians 4 is all about. And so, rem- like, let that be that perspective. Even in a book like 1 Timothy, the goal is that through their giftings and their graces, I mature to the point where in that particular area, I'm able to function in a sense just as they are. I'm able to mature and do what God wants me to do in the area of ministry. And that means to a large extent, their lives are examples or patterns for us to emulate. So it's not instructions, for instance, to ministers aren't to stop at the ministers themselves. Ultimately, if they are good ministry gifts, then the people they are leading will end up emulating them in the areas that they ought to. And so you see Jesus, the very first example, and we talked about that in Ephesians 4, right? Jesus as an apostle, Jesus as a prophet, Jesus as an evangelist, Jesus as a pastor, Jesus as a teacher. And the goal was what? That by the time he left the earth, those 12 were able to carry on in his capacity, whether it's in conduct, whether it's in devotion, whether it's in ministry, ministerial ability. And so when Jesus appoints them as apostles to go on to continue the work he started, and that's the point, it says, raise disciples. The people you lead, the people that benefit of your gifts, right? What is the point? It is such that we all mature to the point where we all are able to function as we have been taught. So don't read or don't look at ministry gifts as people set all by themselves. No, they are examples. They are examples by God to show you what is possible, to encourage you to grow to, 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 to lengths that you have seen, right? They, they set that example that if they can do it through their gifting, you also will grow and mature to the point that you are able to contribute in like manner. I hope that makes sense. And so, I mean, we're going to see that as we read, um, as we read on today. Maybe I'll allow Christina to teach us for a bit. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so, First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. As usual, I'm reading from the NKJV. So, get out your Bibles, get out your writing materials. Let's, let's, let's go into the Word. From verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit speaks... Oh, this is KJV. This will be even more confusing than normal. <laughs> NKJV. Now the Spirit expressly says... That in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. I'll read from verse 1 to 5 and then we'll we'll look through it, right? Um, Says what a short introduction. (laughs) We thank God. And yes, um, what Rotimi said is actually very true. And I'll comment on that, right? There's, well, I'll comment on that when we get there. But we'll go on for now. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, 
in month of Valentine's was a God forbid, <laughs> forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. All right? It's pretty clear what Paul is telling Timothy that by the Spirit, whether by inspiration, whether by, by, let's say someone in the church has said it, but it seems as though this was a clear doctrine in the church, right? That eventually, 1 John 2 verse 18, John is telling them, little children, this is the last hour. You've heard that the Antichrist is coming. And even now, there are many Antichrists. We've talked about that in both 1 John 2 and 2 Thessalonians. So if you want to hear what the Bible has to say about the Antichrist, listen to 2 Thessalonians, listen to 1 John. Um, the same thing in 2 Thessalonians 2. There was that, that, that realization that in the church, towards the end, well, <laughs> post the resurrection, there, would, there has been and there would continue to be people whose hearts grow cold, people who live in a sense, the faith. And I'm going to talk about that. Um, but yes, and I'm going to talk about that. But before we go into departing from the faith, what 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 causes it? What causes it? I want you to pay attention to the description of the people Paul says some will depart from the faith. He says they gave heed, they listened to deceiving spirits, or what the King James calls seducing spirits, and the doctrines of demons just by reading in context the word seducing just means to mislead to deceive to be an imposter it simply means to to lead someone astray so like pastor would always joke about a seducing spirit is not a spirit that causes you to to cheat on your wife or to cheat on your husband a seducing spirit or a deceiving spirit is a spirit that leads you away from the truths of god's word same thing with the doctrines of demons. It's about teaching. The first description of these people is not that they sinned. Think about that. When he talks about the kind of people that departed from the faith, it's not that they, they, they committed adultery. They, oh my God, in the last days, many will depart. Not necessarily. It's not that they, they lied. What happened? They gave in to false teachings. They gave into, which makes sense because if the faith, as we see all through the epistles, refers to teachings and trainings that we've gone through that ground us in our Christian convictions, then a departure from that would be to take on false doctrines. It says they will take on teachings, of course, influenced by, by, by de demonic origins. Not only that, it says they would speak lies in hypocrisy but what else is a is a is, is a description of them their consciences have been damaged and this is a very 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 scary reality it means that it's the word to when it says they've been seared with a hot iron it means literally to be unsensitive like you in, in a physical human body that the nerves are dead so even if you touch it, if you smack it, they can't feel anything there. And that's what Paul uses to describe their consciences, that it, it is no longer 
responsive to God. What theologians will call the hardness of heart or reprobacy, right? And remember, if you if you think about all that all we've talked about so far, you know that conscience is a very very vital part of Christianity. In First Timothy one five, it says, "Well, what's the purpose of of um?" Um, you can turn your Bibles there. First Timothy one five, when he talks about to to make sure people are not teaching fables and endless genealogies. He says the purpose of the commandment is what? Love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. Same thing in 1 Timothy 1 verse 19. Having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected. Same thing in the qualifications for deacons in 1 Timothy 3 verse 9. 1 Timothy 3 verse 9. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience and so you see three times already in this book alone we can expand it to even more epistles the sensitivity of your heart to the word of god is a vital part of your christian testimony the sensitivity that god's word can correct you that the fact that you can say oh i believe this for five years but then someone showed me from the word of god that this is actually how it is and I'm sensitive enough to drop my old assumptions and pick up what the word of God says about any matter. That is what it means to hold the faith in a good conscience. You don't have any bias, any, any, any ulterior motives. Such that if God forbid you learn that the Christian's destiny on earth is to be poor. right? It's not true. I'm just giving an example. If you see that as true in the word of God, you drop whatever you've held on and you pick it up so that it's not you're not you're not trying to you're not holding on to scriptures because it's it it it's it soothes you you're not holding on to 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 truth or what you think to be true because it's oh it's what i grew up with or oh it works in a sense you're holding on to it because you have seen it to be true and your conscience testifies that this is what i believe the word of god says it's a very, very vital part of your Christian testimony. Your sensitivity to the word of God. Whether it's in things you already know and so it can correct you when you do the wrong things. Or whether it's in things that you are unlearning or relearning. You are able to submit to the authority of God in his word. It's a very, very big part. And one of the biggest signs that someone is already strained from their Christian convictions is that if, if you check it, they start to become insensitive. Insensitive to the word of God. And let's say, let's say there's an area of life, their actions are not in line with Christianity. You reach out and you correct and you don't see changes. You don't see changes. Or let's say from a doctrinal perspective, you try to, it's, this is not what the word of God says. And you see more a stubbornness or, or a desire to protect their conviction. Why? Maybe because of their reputation. Maybe because there's an age gap, right? You're like, ah, how will I be learning from, from, a, from a kid? I have been a Christian longer than you have been alive. It is not you that will tell me what the Bible says. That's wrong. And we're going to see that today. It's the same chapter it says, do not let anyone despise your youth. Right? Your Christian con or your, your conscience 
is something you should guard with your life. Make sure that at no point is the word of God difficult to embrace, difficult to apply. Make sure that at no point in your life do you find it hard to, to, to see what the word of God says to be true and change your mind. That's what repentance is. To change your mind about a particular um, subject matter because you've come to see truth. You've come to see truth. You've come to see truth. And so it's 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 something that you can read and say, oh, in the last day, someone departed from the faith, but I've not departed from the faith. But check your heart. Paul says the same thing. He says, check yourselves to know whether you are still in the faith. He says, know ye not if you are still. Right? Check yourselves. Is my conscience already consciously or subconsciously becoming a bit hard? Is there an area in my life where I find it hard for the word of God to correct me. And I believe, and like I taught in 1 John, that this is what Paul talks about. I'm sorry, John. Everything now in my head is Paul. This is what John is talking about when he says, if you see your, your, your brother sinning in a way that does not lead to death, he says, pray for him, correct him. Right? If you see someone sinning in a way that leads to death, I don't, I don't say you should pray for them. And I explained that I believe the sin that leads to death is continual, willful sin. And in that case, it's like this person is gone. He needs the gospel. It's not prayer. This person needs the gospel. This person needs the gospel. This person needs the gospel. But that's what Paul describes. He says they are speaking lies in hypocrisy. They have had their consciences seared with a hot iron. But then he goes on in verse 3. It says they forbid to marry. They forbid to marry and they command that people should not eat food in general or certain foods. And so, all of a sudden, you are starting to, like Paul is describing these people. And it's like, oh, they, are, they first give heed to wrong teachings. But they are speaking and they are forbidden. Which implies that for the most part, this applies to false teachers i hope you see that these are people who have some form of authority to be able to speak and address people and to be able to to in a sense dictate their conduct it shows that these are people that for the most part are leaders of course by implication the people that follow their teaching they are in the same category but primarily this refers to false teachers and we see especially if you've taken time to study the epistles, this is a very, very repeated theme. The, the, the condition or the rebuke of false teachers that, have, that were once part of the church and have left. And so we see here in 1 Timothy 4, we see it in 2 Peter 2. If you can, well, we would get there eventually before Buki would drag me. We're going to get back there. We started we did nothing we'll get back there but second peter to the entire chapter is about these kinds of people even if you just read verse one it says what they are false prophets and even as they were false prophets among the people talking about the old testament there would be false teachers among you that would secretly bring in destructive heresies denying the lord who bought them and will bring upon themselves swift destruction and then verse two many would follow their destructive way so paul is saying the same thing 
that because of it would start from the influence of false teachers who identified perhaps at one point with the church and then all of a sudden start to teach heresies and we see glimpses like that even in christianity on a global level today we see certain groups that claim to identify as christians but you check their theology and this is nothing short of heresy to say jesus and the devil are brothers in a certain context and the goal of god is to make all of us like god to have our own plan it's 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 rubbish to say that god has only accounted for a certain small select number of people to be saved it's heresy it's heresy it's not the doctrine of christ it's not the doctrine of christ christ the same thing in first john right paul says the exact it describes the someone say something Paul describes, I'm sorry, John describes the same kind of people where it says that they went, they went out from amongst us, right? But they were not part of us. First John 2 verse 19. Let's, let's go there. For if they were with us, they would have stayed. But them leaving shows that they were not. First John 2 19. It says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it may be manifest that none of them were of us. Again, talking about these kinds of teachers. The same thing Jude emphasizes. That every Christian community, every Christian should guard against false teachers and false teachings. Let's go back to verse 3. And I, I, Delight, I'll, I'll still get back to what you raised. And I'll, like I said, we'll still go back to verse 1, depart from the faith. So if we don't talk about it, please remind me. Just put it in touch. Daniel, you, you didn't go back to that. Um it says what what else are they going to teach that is that is doctrines of demons it says they're going to forbid people from getting married and they're going to say they shouldn't eat food or they shouldn't eat certain kinds of food so this both re- refers to to selective um to selective eating and if possibly fastings of some sort i want you to i mean it's right there think about that and I want you to think about what that would look like in today's world. How would you, as a false teacher, meaning you identify as a messenger of Christ, but you're actually leading people astray, what would you say if you want to try and forbid people from marrying? Is that you're going to present these seeming acts of consecration as beneficial? That by cutting away certain rightfully good things or rightful things, you can be closer to God. Think on that for a moment. That a mark of false teachings is that they are going to present a sense in which, oh, if you can just not marry, just set yourself to God. Marriage is wrong. Marriage is wrong. Just just live a life solely focused on God. It will be better. And Paul calls it doctrines of demon. Oh, don't eat this kind of food. If you don't, God will be happy with you. You would, you would, you would, you would find yourself to be more spiritual. <laughs> Paul says it's doctrines of demons. And that's interesting because there is a certain. That is the scary thing. And just to deviate a bit, 
one of the things i think i can't remember where i heard this quote from right um but one of the marks of christian maturity is that not only are you able to discern between truth and falsehood you're also able to discern between what is almost true and what is true because at the as you start to examine a lot of false theologies a lot of false ideas in christianity one commonality underlines them all is that for many of these doctrines they start off from what is actually true in scripture and then it's extended too far which is why there's almost always or there are almost always verses to back or to validate these teachings and so there is a sense in which you can look to first corinthians and paul said i want you all to be as i am (laughs) right because he that is single is only focused on serving god we've gone through that right it's in the bible it's clear but he that is married his attention is divided between serving god and getting valentine's day gift this week <laughs> that's what paul said he says i don't i says if if you don't have if you don't if you don't have to get anybody you can just you can just pray monday you say i'm taking a three-day retreat monday tuesday say tuesday is valentine's day i say what is valentine's day every day is to the lord i don't know what that means <laughs> it says but if you have if you are if, if if there's someone else in your life it says you are distracted in a sense or your attention is divided but he never at any point makes that a bad thing and that's why i said it's truth and almost truth paul says that yes practically speaking if you don't have wife and kids or you don't have husband and kids you would have more time on your hands (laughs) what is this (laughs) speaking from experience you would have more time on your hands in a sense and you can if you want to serve god in a sense do more do more practically we know that is true right but at no point does paul say marriage is wrong at no point does paul forbid people from getting married that's where the push happens where at one point is a matter of personal conviction and interactions with god how devoted do i want to be in service how much do i want to engage in in quotes this earthly plane (laughs) While on another one, on another level, you can push it a step further to start to say people that are not married are more spiritual than people that are married. Or people that are not married are more in the will of God than people that chose to get married. People that are not married or chose not to get married or single people in quotes are more more full of God, more in the will of God. Once you start to, to make it a matter of Christian distinction, like Paul says, You've given in to deceiving spirits. And that's why it's deceiving. Because it, it, it starts as something that you can, you can be familiar with. No one ever just comes and imagine someone just go on in and says, I want to tell you guys today, just is not the son of God. The Bible is fake. And just lists out all these things. It will be harder for you to, to listen to such a person. But if the person starts by saying, oh, I believe Jesus is the son of God. He says, but... Let's explain what that means. You start with something that is true. 
and then you start to twist you stretch the truth you extend it the same thing with abstaining from foods or abstaining from food in general right it would be a sense in which there is a validity to the fact that you can set aside seasons of devotion in your life where you are not going to be bothered with anything else but praying and studying the word and that's actually how it was like when in the other when you see they are fasting they're not doing anything they are literally just it's not like what they are doing is they are not eating that's not the point they are praying studying many times you see for Nineveh their life was on the line <laughs> how would they eat they are praying and, and, and they're just praying the same thing with Hezekiah when the king of Assyria I believe wanted to, to ransack they are just praying same thing with Moses on the mountain Jesus in the wilderness Acts 13 the goal was never the abstinence of food. That, that has never been the key description. It was that they just spent time. They took aside time. Even in 1 Corinthians, in a certain extent, even from, from their marital responsibilities in quote, just to take out time to pray and to study. But at no point do you see, at least for the new creature, the new believer, oh sorry, the believer, the new creature in Christ, the Christian, where it says, oh, don't eat. Or, oh, don't eat certain kinds of food. And so the same thing with marriage. What would happen is that there would start to be a certain, certain ideology or a certain sense in which those people that are not eating certain, say, oh, I don't, I don't eat that. Wow, what a man of God. It says, oh, you know, I, I don't eat at all. I just I just drink a little chocolate milk every every now and then. That's that's my life. Say, <laughs> so, wow, lay hands on me that I may partake of this grace. <laughs> and it's it's sad because it reflects a truth that all human beings have, which is that if we see people exercising restraint in any area of their lives where we struggle, we somehow assume that they are better than us. Think about it. <laughs> if you see someone, like, it, it almost always becomes a thing of pride. How many of you have you felt that way? Like, say, oh, I don't do this. And then you just, you just, be honest with yourself. You feel good. <laughs> Let's say all your friends, they're having pizza. They're like, oh, I don't eat this. It's not healthy. You feel good. You're like, a me fit farm. I am the real fitness i am the one that is taking care of my body exactly let's say every time yeah if you guys go out to restaurant say oh no i'll just have water please water and you feel so good that all of you are killing yourselves and me i'm just taking water it is in it in human beings to use exclusivity to appear better than people it is it is there be honest it is there it is there it is there so why i don't i don't do that you just there's a way you now put your face on and just say oh, say, oh okay that's that's fine and you feel so good you feel so good ah bookie bookie oh no i'm not i'm not part of this god when i'm not you know I, I don't need that i don't need that and you're, you're so you're so you feel so good but if you're not careful <laughs> and you mean like ivy ivy league schools or <laughs> Is that what you're is that what you're dragging? Okay, but if 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 you're not careful, 
you can push especially the moment you start to wield certain forms of authority you can you can wrongly equate abstinence exclusivity with with um and and somehow assume that that is the way to grow spiritually and what is the problem with that it's all of a sudden it goes back to that sinful urge we all have to want to have something to boast about it's not just when it's not just in receiving salvation that human beings find it difficult to receive the sacrifice of christ even in walking in salvation we struggle and that's the very reason why let's say if you've not prayed you start to feel like you're less of a christian not because of a reality there's a sense in which your convictions wane you become more susceptible to temptation but just even before the devil even has to do anything in your own mind you already feel like ah i've not prayed this two days though. am i am i sure i can still do the same things i did because subconsciously you've even attached your spiritual vibrancy to your efforts to your efforts and it's tricky because it's a fine line with understanding the benefits and the requirements of spiritual devotion and depending on your efforts and devotion to sustain your spiritual identity those are two very different things but it's very easy to move from one camp to the other very easy human beings we want to have something to post about in christ outside christ we want and so you are in a group of christians it's like oh say our church ah we 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 enjoyed our time of fasting oh and then all of a sudden you say oh are y'all have finished is well oh, so we're still going to august <laughs> we're still going to august and everybody like wow say yes so we thank god that's what you say we thank god <laughs> if at that moment you don't check it it's, it's pride is works what is what what <laughs> so them they are not growing because you, you are fasting to august they are they've stopped growing up you are the one that has has grown past them say oh um i say well we're going to be praying for the next two hours and i remember even i myself i remember when i got to the u.s <laughs> so we're just it's, it's, we're going to have a prayer meeting and then i i got there and everyone was sharing prayer and i think in like 15 to 30 minutes we're done i say what is this lord i say if you know where we are coming from this is merely opening prayer <laughs> this is merely you have not said anything there are no tongues no sweat what is this or someone saying oh um let's say a new believer is excited oh you know we prayed for three hours and you're like oh wow it's just three hours abby you guys have not you've not stretched into into the next day <laughs> what is your point what is your agenda what are you trying to prove what are you trying to prove and so it's very easy to read oh forbidding to marry god commanding to abstain from food ah what do they mean by that of course that's not the doctrine of christ but again check your heart check your heart are there areas in your life where you have used exclusivity spiritually or otherwise to assume a certain sense of maturity it's wrong and while yes like i said with every 
falsehood, it starts from the truth. There is a sense in which consecration is vital to our Christian identity. There is a sense in which, like we read, if a man or a woman purifies themselves, they would be vessels unto honor. But once again, because of how, how, how very, very subtle the matters of the heart are, always check your motives. Am I doing this to God? Or is my strength coming from the approval of men? Is my strength coming from knowing that, oh, right now, people think I'm praying. Let's say, oh, all of a sudden, you let's say this year, you said, I'm going to be praying two to three, right? Like, um, in the morning, I think I was talking to someone like, oh, every 2 a.m., I'll wake up and pray to three. Beautiful. There's no, that's good. I wouldn't do that <laughs> unless God tells me to. There's nothing wrong, though. Like, that's good. But then check it. Let's say at the start, you're like, oh, it's between you and God. But as the weeks went on, you just told that one friend, ah, you know, this year I've been waking up to AMO and I pray one hour and you felt good. And then all of a sudden you tell another friend. <laughs> all of a sudden you are in a map, map group and you are, saying, oh, I, just, I just, you know, um, I've been praying two to three. Check it. <laughs> Something that is, bit, do we need to know? That all of a sudden, there's a difference between account, as in you use as an example, there's accountability for sure, where let's say you want people to hold you account, but there's there's also a sense in which you are using spirituality to, to still put yourself out there. That, ah, you know, this year I've just been praying two to three. Uh-huh. What, what should I do with that? If I should celebrate man of God. Oh yeah, man of God. Like just that's your reward. That man of God is your reward, nothing else. Because that's what you wanted. So be very careful. Behind your consecration, behind your devotion, say, Elder, <laughs> I want to be like you when I grow up. Behind your consecration, behind your devotion, behind your, 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 your setting yourself, behind your, your special acts that, oh, I will do this. Oh, I do this. Yes, everyone might not, but I do this. What is your motive? Where, where does the sense of satisfaction come from? Is it in knowing that God sees you? Or is it in knowing that your friends now know that you are a prayer machine? Where does your confidence, where does your, 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 and that's why I said, so it's not, that's the thing about, uh, if you read the descriptions of Jesus, the, the focus was not in the actions per se. He says that they pray to be seen. The moti- the, what he was not con- he wasn't condemning praying outside. The church met in the synagogue and they prayed there. Paul and Silas in the prison, they prayed so and they sang and prayed so loudly that everyone else heard. You have said, ah, if it's between them and God, why didn't they keep quiet? So the point is not in the action itself as much as it is in the motive. And that's what I'm referring to. It's, it's a case of checking your heart. So you can actually sincerely encourage people to pray and you are using your testimony. But there is no motive of self-gratification. But I'm saying that you need to be, be sensitive enough. Again, it goes back to your conscience. Be sensitive enough to know that what is driving, what is driving that, that encouragement in quotes. Is it 
is it a sense in which i want subconsciously or consciously validation of my spiritual consecration because other people know if nobody knows the things you do for god will you be fine or until you have posted online until you have shared what god told you in your bible study you are not you're not at peace because you want people to know that you read your bible that day it's a thing of motive again someone else might say every day i would share tips from or i would share lessons from my bible study but it's because they genuinely want people to be blessed for another person it's so that they can take a picture of their bible with a coffee uh with coffee beside it and a filter and say wow mornings with jesus are awesome <laughs> check your heart that's all i'm saying it's not necessarily first it's from the heart it starts from the as an aesthetic <laughs> It starts from the heart. It starts from the heart. Why do you do the things you do? Where is your strength coming from? When you miss a day of prayer, how do you respond? That, that's a good way of knowing where, how, how workspace you still are. How, how do you respond? Do you go back to God and trust for strength? Or do you, do you somehow internalize it? Blame yourself and all of so before the devil has even done anything, you are the one saying that you have strayed farther away from God than you should. Ah, calm down. Calm down. Calm down. Same thing with false teachings. That's why they are forbidden to marry. It presents a view of spirituality that not everyone would have. It's just they just want to form clique. They want to have their my own, my guys and I. Human beings love exclusivity. We see, we we'll say, oh, the billionaires gang, the millionaires group. Until you've done this and this, you, you you don't have access to our to our circle. That's the same thing. Oh, don't marry. Oh, don't eat this. Oh, don't eat <laughs> stuff like that. And on this eating matter, especially because um, Christianity came out of a culture, the Jewish culture, where out of devotion to god certain foods were actually not allowed but then in a in 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 the gentile world a huge part of paul's ministry was to emphasize that you don't have to be a jew to follow jesus but there were still teachers that would want to come into these communities and in the name of gathering crowds or seeming more spiritual teach as requirements for christians abstinence from certain kinds of food and that's what paul is specifically addressing that no God made everything. Every creature is good, including the ones that were banned in Leviticus. <laughs> right? Every creature is good. Those creatures are for the Jews. Again, it was given to certain people at a certain point in time and it was more to teach than anything else. The word Torah literally means instruction. It was to teach them. Maybe one of these days, I think, I think in Romans, we'll probably get there. Everything is Romans. But um, yeah, it says every creature is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. It says for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So it's just describing that don't let these guys through their harder requirements, right? Once something seems hard, we feel it's more 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 original more genuine is no that's not how it is that's not how it is 
That's not how it is. And so back to verse 1, where it says, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. That's a clear two things. Number one, it means that there's an assumption that they were in the faith. But in what sense? It means at the very least, they identified with the church and they they at least publicly professed to believe the teachings of the church. And it's one of the things I, I, I want you to keep in mind. We've talked about it a bit in uh, James, in John. We talked about it at, at length in John. We talked about it in Hebrews as well. That there is the many times, if not every time, the authors of the New Testament do not go about investigating or assuming the genuineness of the salvation of a person. Right? They can encourage you to check your heart. They can tell by your by certain actions that will probably say, oh, excommunicate this brother so that he may be received back having repented. They can say, oh, if a person walks in willful, continual sin, something is wrong somewhere. But there was a genuine, positive expectation that everyone who identified with the church is saved until proven otherwise. Does that make sense? And so, when, for instance, you read First John and it says, they went out from among us because they were not amongst us. Up until the point they left, they were probably, they had gotten baptized. These people had been baptized, meaning they had made a public profession of Christ. They were probably attending the services. And so in that sense, when Paul is writing to believers, he includes them among. But once they now, once he gets to that point, they're like, ah, they they want to start their own movement and they leave. John says that they were not part of us. That if they were, they would have stayed. But the fact that they left, it proves that they were not really part of us. So in that sense, did they depart from the faith? Yes. Because they once identified with the faith. But were they ever truly saved? According to John, no. Does that make sense? So, I'm very careful not to use verses like this to teach that, to start to teach people losing their salvation. We don't see that kind of approach. We see a a genuine reality in which people can leave the church. People that once claimed to believe certain things. People that to the public eye were saved can actually leave. It's clear. Paul says it's Himenaus and Philetus. The, the epistles are riddled with such kinds of examples. But it never goes, or for the most part, we either see that number one, there is the there, there is the conclusion that these people from the get-go, their hearts were not right with God. Someone asked me a question once and and said, can a Christian lose their salvation? And it's very easy to want to say yes or to want to say no. But if you want to be honest with yourself, um, the Bible, don't, don't try to answer a question that the Bible didn't expressly answer. Because if you want to answer that question as biblically as possible, what does the Bible say? 
The Bible says that anyone who truly believes the gospel. Okay, I would, I would, I would, um, I would answer that. Anyone who truly believes the gospel is saved and can trust God to keep them. That's what the Bible teaches. Anyone who truly believes the gospel receives the spirit of God and can trust God, God at work in them to keep them, to keep them growing and to keep them steadfast. Jude 20, Ephesians 1.13. 1 Corinthians, he that he he who promises this is faithful and he will keep you to the end. Right? We have verses up, upon verses encouraging the believer to trust. And it, it goes back to that dynamic again of, of spiritual devotion. Encouraging the believer to trust in God's work in them. In God's work in them. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do. However, does that mean the answer is a no? Not necessarily. You can't point to any verse that says the believer cannot lose his salvation. You don't really see that. And I'm not saying the answer is not no. I'm saying if you are a faithful student of the word, you would say what the word says. Because coupled with every assurance of, of preservation, are instructions of perseverance. And so Paul would say, continue. Paul would say, don't give in to false teaching. Paul would say, say, hold fast to what you have believed. In the same breath that God is keeping, he would tell you, Paul would say, God is working out something good in you. He would say, work out. Does that make sense? And so that means that there is a sense in which we can hold both truths. That the believer can trust God to keep them. But the believer also has a responsibility to respond by holding fast to truth. We're going to talk more about that in Jude and 2 Peter. But what that then means is that it is possible for people in the church to go after false teachings. Again, in the church. What does that mean for the authenticity of their salvation? It depends. The majority we see in false teachers is that they were never truly saved. They probably identified with the church. They, they made professions. They did all the, all the activities. But is that salvation? Again, no one can see the heart of a person. Did they truly place faith in the salvific work of Christ? Or did they want to join a new group and raise and, and form a crowd and become people of influence? Bolu asks, he says, once they leave, do they become unsaved? Maybe I think yes, because since they stopped believing, since believing was what saved them in the first place. Again, um, so that is that would assume that the answer to the question is yes. I don't want to. And that's why, for instance, um, um, Pastor Aaron, that I listen to a lot, you would find out that at no point has he ever said yes or no to this question. If you are if you are listening carefully, he has never said yes or no. I think that is that is faithful. I think that's a faithful way to ha to handle the scriptures. Just teach what the scriptures say. Are you see? Are you are you a part of the church? Okay, 
I recognize you as a brother or a sister in Christ. I can't see your heart. I don't know if you are pretending, but I recognize you as a brother and sister in Christ. I can encourage you with what the scriptures encourage. Trust God is at work in you. Trust God to keep you. Trust God to, to establish you. But I would also instruct you the same way. The Bible, which is the whole summary of the point of Hebrews, is written to believers going through persecution. And he's saying, don't go back to Judaism. Sincere warnings. He didn't just say, ah, it doesn't matter how much they persecute you. Nothing will happen. Why? God is with you. He, he, he writes, the, in my opinion, the second most theologically dense book in the New Testament. If not first, because in the setting light, Romans is probably easier to understand than Hebrews. Reminding them that this is what you left behind to follow Christ. Don't go back. That's, that's what he's writing. And you can ask, if, if he's writing that, are they, are they, are they merely are they, are they irrelevant warnings or warnings that cannot happen? I don't think so. Do with that what you, you will. But I think as believers... As a mature Bible student, you need to hold instructions of perseverance as well as comforts of preservation. We see both. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. Did I say Paul? We don't know who wrote Hebrews. <laughs> if I said Paul, then I, I, I always, in my head, every Paul wrote everything in the Bible. <laughs> um, but yeah. And so, to answer your question, Bolu, a person who leaves the church and uh and and sincerely does not believe the gospel is not saved that's that's the answer were they saved in the first place i don't know i i don't i don't see their hearts can someone who genuinely placed faith in the in the word of god and in the gospel come to a point where they stop believing it seems as though they are apostles even though they don't directly say yes or no they shall tell you, be careful. And I don't think they are empty warnings. They tell you, check your hearts, check your doctrine, check your message. And I don't think they are empty doctrines. We're going to see something like that in 1 Timothy 4 verse 16. And, they, and it is with the assumption that these are people that are genuinely saved. So let's not in a bid to want to fall onto camps. Oh yes, a believer can lose their salvation. No, a believer can't lose their salvation. And when you check it, the more and more I, I listen to debates, the more and more I read opposing sides of theological views. The reason why these things happen, if you ask the person, I say, oh, can a believer lose their salvation? I said, no. What would they used to defend? They'll quote scriptures upon scriptures of, of preservation. If you ask someone who believes a believer can lose their salvation, how do you defend this? They'll quote scriptures upon scriptures of warnings. And the truth is, both scriptures are true. <laughs> and so it's, it's the fact that we, we more likely want to fall into a camp than, than hold the tension of scriptures. It's the same thing about sovereignty and the, and the free will of man. Is God sovereign over all? Yes. Does man have free will? I believe it's clearly seen in scripture. How do we reconcile that? We'll learn about it in Romans. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yes, I, I, I believe every faithful student of the word of God should be able to see that these letters were written 
with the with the with the hope and the assumption that these people are saved that these people are saved but then the warnings are not any less real any less valid does that make sense so before you fall into a yes or no camp hold scriptures for what scriptures say am i saved me me like you can answer for yourself before you start asking for other people ask yourself am i true have i truly believed and that's what paul was saying that he said check are you really are you really are you really in the faith? No, ye not if at least if not anyone else you can know have i truly placed faith if the answer is yes i can trust god at work in me but i also will respond to that by keeping myself from anything that will take me out of the love of christ amen 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 all right let's so that's what he means so when he says some will depart from the faith he's simply saying that there will be people in your church in your christian community that would reject or start to teach things that are not they'll reject the true teachings of christ or they would embrace teachings that are not compatible with the gospel of christ that's what he's saying and we see that every day we see people in the church say they don't believe we see people in the church say they, they don't they are atheists we see people in the church even reputable people leave the christian community were they truly saved i don't know i don't know i, I, I don't know all i know is for myself i check myself for others i comfort with the assurance of salvation and i encourage and i warn with the instructions of pre- and, pre- and perseverance that's what the, that's what paul does that's what the writer of hebrews does that's what peter does amen 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 <laughs> all right verse 6 if you instruct the brethren in these things these things that we've talked about warning people from all these things we've talked about you will be a good minister of jesus christ nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed you would be a good minister of christ nourished in the words of faith and of the doctrine which you have carefully followed so what is the mark of a good minister number one they teach or remind god's people of god's ideals we're going to see it says that in last days they will gather to themselves people with them because they have itching ears they will gather to themselves teachers who will tell them what they want to hear the mark of a good minister is that they do not teach simply what people want to hear they teach what people need to hear jesus did not care he could have if if, if jesus was chasing numbers in those three years he would have been king of jerusalem think about that and with his kingship he could have made christianity the official in quotes or whatever he was teaching the official religion of the land couldn't he but that was not that was not the way it was not if he was going to do that he would have had to keep giving them bread he would not be able to teach on him being the bread of life him being the blood that they have to drink he would have to to change his message if he was to preserve the crowds no good minister which is why we saw again your conscience 
your conscience. Yes, for the believer, even more so for the minister. Your conscience. Because the moment popularity, fame, wealth, reputation begins to cloud your judgments, it will be very hard to follow God. Paul said it clearly in Galatians, if I was still trying to gather the approval of men, I would not be a messenger of Christ. It's not, you can't, you can't prioritize both. It's not possible. The same way said you can't serve God and Mama for the minister. You can't chase the approval of man and the will of God. It's not possible because the will of man is almost always in contradiction. Men, I mean, these people, the people you're trying to reach are dead. They don't know what they want. Imagine a, 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 a five-year-old child dictating his food menu. The child will probably die. Because they will not eat a balanced diet. They will not eat vegetables. Unless you are weird. <laughs> or God, you are blessed with good... Uh, I don't know if it's even good. You say, oh, I want chocolate in the morning, chocolate in the afternoon, and ice cream at night. And then the mother says, ah, I don't want my child to be upset at me. Let me give him what he wants. Or your teenage child, let's say, if you have... Say, oh, I want to be out and come back at 2 a.m. every night. You say, oh... I don't want my my I don't want to lose my daughter's approval. I don't want to lose my son's approval. You know what? You are right. Play as much games as you want. Come back whenever you want. Just so we are on good terms. You will destroy that child. That's the whole point. They don't know what they need. That's the point of parenting. And that's the point of discipleship. And that's the point of evangelism. These people are, they need to grow. They don't know what they need to grow. <laughs> You are, the, you are the one God has sent them. You are the one that knows. You can't be taking sermon suggestions. <laughs> say, ah, what, should we, what should we talk about today? Um, this month, Lord. Instead of you to go to God, you go and you put a poll on your Instagram. Church members, vote. <laughs> what should we talk about? It's, ah, minister of the gospel. That's an embarrassment. That's an embarrassment. Amen. No minister of the gospel can hold both the approval of men and the will of God. You can't. You have to, you have to say yes to one and reject the other. And so that's what he's saying. A good minister of Christ is the one who instructs the brethren in the will of God. He tells them what they need to hear. Or she tells them what they need to hear. That's why he says, preach. Be faithful, be constant in season and out of season. Both when it's convenient to say certain things and when it's not, we must find you teaching the same things. Teaching the same things. Amen. Not only that, it says nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have carefully followed. So as the minister is faithful to teaching the truths of God's word, he finds out that those same truths only become stronger and stronger in his or her heart. And that's the beautiful thing about ministry is that even though you are pouring out to people, you are being refreshed yourself. We saw that last time when Paul was describing the deacons, 1 Timothy 3 verse 13, that just because they have, they have served well, they've obtained for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith. There is a boldness, there is a deepening of your convictions that comes from holding fast and teaching the truth of God. If anything, after all I've said, I cannot tomorrow want to act. I'll say, are you, your, you are the one. Are you not the one that told these people yesterday? Do you get? 
it, it, it nourishes you by encouraging people in God's word. You yourself, you are more grounded. You're more grounded. You're more grounded. It goes on in verse 7. It says, reject profane and old wives' fables. I think this thing is not fair. <laughs> Why? Why is it old wives? Why is it not old husbands? But in fairness, I remember my sister and I went to brunch one day. It was work day in the morning. Every responsible person should be at work. <laughs> and then there was this group beside us. I think they were like six, like older, older women. And they were just gisting and having a good time. There's nothing wrong with that. But <laughs> it was at that point I said, hmm, old wife's fables. I see it now. <laughs> um, but I'm just teasing. Uh, but it... Okay, yes. It says, reject profane and old wives' tales. I don't like that. I actually don't like it. I'm too Gen Z. <laughs> Pretty much irrelevant discussions. Irrelevant dis um, discussions. And exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. So let's let's look at that. Again, talking to a minister. But like I said, you're going to learn eventually that these are things that also apply to you. By seeing Timothy exercise himself towards godliness, rejecting unnecessary conversations, I also learn to do the same thing. I also learn to do this. Refuse all these unnecessary conversations. Refuse conversations that you just, it's just gist. <laughs> He does nothing for your Christian testimony. Say, hey, wow. Ah, and he's, ah, no. <laughs> it makes no sense. He, may, he says, ignore it. Same thing in, in 2 Timothy 2 verse 16. Shun profane and idle babblings because they would increase to more ungodliness. It doesn't benefit you. And it just means be intentional about what you're listening to. Be intentional about the information that stimulates you. Are you just looking for gist or do you actually want to grow right and that's why he con he 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 contrasts it reject this exercise towards this exercise or read your bible stay in the word pray meditate evangelize teach people exercise yourself towards godliness and i love the fact that he uses the word exercise and in the next verse he compares it to bodily exercise. I like that. Because when you think about the analogy of bodily exercise, what does it show? Ask anyone who bodily exercises. <laughs> Number one, it's there is a sense of intentionality. Meaning you have to decide to exercise you don't say ah i just exercise I say, how do you exercise you know my body just i just it just it just happens you're a joker you have to be intentional because your body's natural response almost every day i wake up i'm like ah why okay I'll, I'll get to that question ah, do i do i have to go to the gym today some days are better. You're like, okay, yes. Some days you're like, oh my God. But everyone you see at the gym or when you go out, they are running. 
they chose to do that's not what their body would rather be they chose to do that that day they chose to do it there's an intentionality so it's not a godliness follow me no <laughs> you will have to exercise it will not just happen by de- sorry you have to be intentional it will happen by default it will happen by default another thing we see about exercise or the analogy of body exercise is that it has to be consistent it has to be consistent one of the most painful things and perhaps one of the biggest motivators for going to gym speaking from experience now is that let's say you've been working out for two years you've got into a place you're like oh wow i'm feeling good and then <laughs> you stop working out for let's say five months the number of the, the length you stopped is longer than the time you've been working out to and all of a sudden you just feel yourself getting lazier you start to see your body change and you're like is, is it fair <laughs> is i i always joke i said the body is a very 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 horrible slave master for me for instance if i if i don't go to gym for one week bam i've lost three kg gone <laughs> i'm like is, is it fair before i'll get that thing back it would take like three weeks say ah is it fair is it fair and one of the things that has done it has i've always and if paul could use that analogy it means we can reflect i think about it all the time now same way you don't see you don't see growth until you've you've been there for many people when they start going working out let's say after a couple you're like oh wow i can see some definition you you didn't it's it's it was the little things day by you didn't wake up the next day and say ah, wow look at me <laughs> it was incremental progress over time and you can think of your Christian work like that. Oh, I all through this week, I prayed one hour, I studied my Bible one hour. I don't feel any different. That's fine. You might not know. But a time would come. You would see that the results of those consecration, the results of the devotion, it would show. It would show. It would show. The same thing with the lack of. After you've worked up and you start to stop, in the same way in your body, eventually you'll see that, ah, or let's say you go back to the gym. Let's say after two weeks and the weight, a friend of mine, she was working out, I think for the most of last year. And then of course, fasting came this year. And she was like, oh, she's not going to work out while they are fasting. And she came back to the gym in February. And my God, weights that were so easy in December, you are struggling. The next day you are so like, ah, your body's, they say, you, you think you can cheat on me. I will show you. <laughs> you can't cheat on you. I will show you. But it's the same thing with the spirit man. You don't say, oh, I've been praying every day for the past one year. I'll take it easy for the next two weeks. I pity you. <laughs> Voila. <laughs> problem, problem, another problem. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. You need to be consistent. You need to be consistent. Not only that, what else do we see when you talk about bodily exercise? And that's what Paul was trying to discuss. You have to reject certain things. Everyone who exercises knows that three very important things. If you don't do any of these three well, your entire performance will suffer. Sleep, food, and actually exercise. You need to eat well. You need to you <laughs> say, oh, I'm trying to, 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 to take care of my body. Say, but I'm eating pizza every day. Ah. <laughs> if you like, we're going to the gym every day it's you won't see much progress right or you are, you say you are working out but you don't sleep well 
You're not giving your muscles time to grow. It, you won't see much progress. And so that's the same thing. You're exercising yourself in godliness. It's not just by doing the right things. You also have to stop doing the wrong things. Which is why it says, reject this. Instead, exercise to godliness. Stop eating pizza. As a leaf fruiter. <laughs> stop, stop eating pizza. <laughs> go, go and eat chicken and rice. That's what he's saying. And so you can say, oh, I'm reading my Bible. I'm studying. I'm praying. But are you still engaging your minds with things that only lead you further away from God? What do you watch when you're actually relaxing? What do you listen to when you are not, when you're not exercising in quotes? What do you do? What are you still taking in? And so growth is not just about doing the right things. It's about stopping the wrong things. Stopping the wrong things. Stopping the wrong things. Stopping the wrong things. So what I say describe, describes godly exercise or exercise. Intentionality. <laughs> Book, if you know, you know I'll be. <laughs> Intentionality, consistency, right? And and uh, I don't know how to, in my note, I just said rejecting unhealthy things. Whatever one word you want to, to, to use to describe that. But that's the point, that it's not always going to be convenient. It's not always going to be comfortable. Nobody, it's not every time it's convenient to pray, that it's convenient to study, that it's convenient to do the right things. Even, um, Charity, I saw your hand out. Um, if you have a question, you can either put it in chat or remind me when I, when I take the questions. Um, even Jesus, it wasn't convenient when it was time to die. But you do it anyways. You do it anyways. You do it anyways. And just like bodily exercise, you see the progress over time. And that's what we're going to see in 1 Timothy 4.15. I don't think we're going to get there. I, once again, I have <laughs> over-budgeted. But um, you get the point. And that's why he uses the description in verse 18. That bodily exercise profits little. People think about it like it's, they read that and think it's bad. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's not what he's saying. He's using the example of bodily exercise to teach on something even more beneficial. Spiritual exercise. That's all he's doing. So he's saying, yes, it's good. And we see the profit of bodily exercise. But there is a greater exercise. There's, there's, a, there's, you can, there's another kind of gym you can attend. There's another kind of workout routine you can follow. And that's spiritual. And he says it's profitable. And I want you to pay attention to what he's saying. It's profitable for all things. So how does bodily exercise profit little in contrast to godliness? Number one, bodily exercise only profits your body. However, spiritual exercise, it profits every area of your life. If you can exercise yourself to God, you would see the results in everything. In your friendships, in your marriage, in the way you act, even at work, in the way you view money, in your dressing. Do you get like... The application of godliness spans the entirety of your life. In the things you say, in the things you do, in the things you think about. However, bodily exercise, the benefits are only seen in your body. That's what he's saying. He's not saying it's bad. Or, say, say, work out. Go to say, you say, emoji, emoji, emoji. You need to start working. This is your tummy. <laughs> the bodily exercise profited little. You're not serious. That little, go and profit. Go and profit it. Not only that, what's the other contrast? He says, having a promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So the first is what? In scope. 
Godliness has a wider scope of profitability. The second is in duration. The effects of godliness will be seen for all of eternity. But for my gym bros and gym sisters out there, Omo, by 70, by 60, 70, that's it. By 80, by 90. Pata, pata, even if your body is still in great shape till you die, after you die, that's it. It's glorified body. And I don't know if we need to work out. But I pray to God we don't need to work out in our glorified body. <laughs> But um, you get the point. That's all he's saying. He's saying bodily exercise only lasts for this lifetime. Only lasts, only shows in the body. And it's important. Then he's saying how much more spiritual exercise. How much more spiritual exercise that not only applies, that, that applies or benefits every area of your life, but also lasts for eternity. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. And he says this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance. Like we've talked about, that means people, people will go about saying, bodily exercise is profitable too, but godliness is profitable for all, unto all things. So as much as you take care of your body and you ought to, let it, let it set a minimum standard. And I start, sometimes now I try to think about it like that. that if, I, if I have to go to the gym today, I have to pray today. It's the same thing. If bodily exercise is so important, let it be the minimum, the bare minimum, the sacrifices I make to take care of my body, I must do even much more for my spirit. So all of you, I don't take soda out there. Same way, say, I don't watch this. I don't, I don't want to watch this. It's the same thing. <laughs> I don't hate Peter. It's the same thing. I don't watch, I don't watch this. It's the same thing. <laughs> oh, he says, oh, let's, oh, no, I have to be at the gym today. Same, I have to pray today. It's the same thing. If not more. Does that make sense? All right, let's start to round up. Um, verse 10, it says, For to this end, what end? The promise of godliness in the life now and to the life to come. We both labor and suffer reproach. It's the same thing. You, you see people that, let's say, all of us are even still just preparing for, we just want a healthy body at least. I don't know if anyone here wants to compete in a strong women, <laughs> powerlifting or most, most aesthetic body 2023. We just want a healthy life, at least for me. Um, or marathon. But when you see those people that are actually training, it's a snatched waste. I only recently learned the meaning of that word. It is, it is almost as though they are suffering. Have you? I've watched the routine of, of, let's say, like all these people that compete in Mr. Olympia and all these things. They wake up, they eat, they sleep, they work out. That, that's all they do. And they, they have to eat in large amounts. There are many things they cannot eat. Or even athletes, foot, um, soccer players or footballers, right? They can't eat a lot of things. In fact, I remember a joke. Someone, when the World Cup was over, a player in Man City, um, the manager said that he came back fat and so he couldn't play him. He couldn't start him. I said, him fat? There's nothing, nothing fat about him. He says, but the way he came, I said he had, not, he had clearly not been eating well. That he was too heavy. And so he couldn't start the game. It just shows you the kind of dedication. The kind of dedication. The kind of dedication. Look at Christian Ronaldo playing at 30, what, 39, 38. If you see his routine, this guy will go ice bath. He would eat, he only eating broccoli, rice, chicken. What? Not, I me. Mean, I can't live that kind of life. He's like, say, ah, don't, no, I would eat it. I'm sorry, man, I would eat it. <laughs> right? You see that kind of dedication. 
just unto what? Athletic excellence. And he's saying what? Paul says, it is for the same godly excellence that we also labor and suffer because we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men, especially all those who believe. Before I get there, and I'll round up on this before I take questions and then we call it a day. It might be easy to read verse 8 and say, oh, bodily exercise. You know, he's comparing it to bodily exercise. But again, applying it to your life. What I want you to take from today and think about is that what Paul is saying is that anything in the natural that you can commit to is proof that you can be a strong Christian. Think about that. So in many people's case, it might be their gym. If, if, if you stand before God, all God will have to do is bring about your, your, the way you took care of your body. He says, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. Even when it was hard, even in the face of peer pressure, you were consistent at the gym. You have no excuse for a failing devotional life. But for some of you, maybe it's not gym. Maybe gym, you still, God still needs to work on your heart. It like delights like skincare. You've spent money morning and night the sun must not touch your face if only sunscreen spf 50 has not touched it yet you 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 notice a slight blemish you are worked up all of you say i need to do this 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 not only that the same way it says by this time you also ought to be teachers it applies to this you can now help people develop their routines as well god will tell you that your dedication to your skin only shows that it was possible to be dedicated to your spirit. It will stand against you in judgment. That's what I'm trying to say. So don't let it just be, oh, bodily exercise. The, the, the message there is that anything, says a lifestyle, <laughs> anything you can do consistently, intentionally, and sacrifice for is proof that you can do the same for God. And so it's a thing of priority. <clears throat> Sorry, let me Is a thing of priority where you start to realize that nothing else demands greater dedication, greater intentionality, greater consistency, greater sacrifice than the state of my spirit. For some, it's 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 school that they must study every night. They don't miss. They read for their exams. They do this. They do that. They they, they do tutorials. Again, that's the same thing. You would notice that even in every area of physical endeavor. Whatever you're excellent at, you just find an urge to teach people. It should be the same with the spirit. Or career, excellent. Outstanding review. But you have a failing spiritual life. Your career would stand against you in judgment. That's what, that's what he's saying. So again, check your life. Is there any area that I have so invested in? That I've so invested in? Let it motivate me to do even much more for the state of my spirits, for the state of my, 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 my walk with God. For the state of my walk with God. And he says it was because we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men. So Jesus died for all men. And says specifically or especially for those who believe. And so there's a sense in which the sacrifice of Christ is poured out for all, but it's only effective in those who have received it. He says these things command and teach these things command and teach these things 
command and teach. So it's not just Paul is writing to Timothy, but Paul is saying everything I'm telling you, teach others too. That's why I started with by saying that ministry gifts and like I think was it wrote me that said it. Yes, there are things that are peculiar to them. There are certain demands of consecration because of the position of authority and responsibility they have but the goal is that their lives are an example to follow so paul will say imitate me as i imitate christ he'll say um sorry not he the writer of you will follow through faith and patience those that inherited the promise he says note those among you and count them worthy of honor emulate them let them be examples to you these things command and teach he describes ministry in verse 10 as labor the word there is kopiao it means to feel fatigue to get tired and that's it everyone you see who is excellent at anything they put in the work do the same for your spiritual life put in the work let it be that you say oh it was labor you say how was your 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 spiritual life it was labor it wasn't cruise it was labor i worked hard there were times i was tired but i kept on going and just like every other natural aspect, whether it's your bodily exercise, whether it's your skincare, by God's grace, may your skincare routine not end up in futility. Amen. I pray the same for you from the depth of my heart. Whether it's your skincare routine, whether it's your 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 devotion, whether it's your devotion to your academics or to your career or to your business or to your family. Some people are amazing parents. They put in the work and the results show. Put in the work for your growth. Put in the work in study. The days you feel like it, the days you don't. Put in the work in prayer. The days you feel like it, the days you don't. And again, the profiting will appear. We'll talk more about that when we start from verse 12. Amen, amen. I think this is a good place to pause. So now is a good time to take questions. Um, Fee said, can we share a disciple's area of help with our partner? Or should this be kept away strictly? <laughs> Lady D, you have partner, B. Do you want to ask? <laughs> um, <laughs> again, I think um, this is this is where you say, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> because I've heard many I, 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 eh? me to have partner. I told I'm, I'm married now. What? Delight, why are you still asking me? Okay. Oh, you, you're affirming. Thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Faye, can you explain what I understand? And I'm not sure if that's what you're trying to ask. Let's say, let's say, as I'm married now, like I'm actually married, right? <laughs> Someone I'm mentoring or discipling is vulnerable with me and shares something that they are struggling with. Can I go and share that with my partner during pillow talk at night? Is that what you're asking? <laughs> this is my audio marriage. Bully, well done. We all shall stay married. By God's happy, we all married. Okay, I think that's what Faye is asking. I, I, I think... Uh, <laughs> I think once again, the answer is, is um, more in a sense of, of motive than anything. Is it because you want to i think for starters right there should be if someone says something to you in privacy you should respect that and i don't think um 
I don't think, like, let's say someone opens up with an addiction they are struggling with. I don't think if they opened up to you, no one else deserves to know, right? Because um, that's a violation of their of their trust. But then there's a sense in which maybe if you want, like, again, I said it's motive. If all you're looking for is counsel, like your wife is probably or your partner or your husband is probably someone that also is able to counsel you to a certain extent. And you can say, oh, there's someone I'm talking to that is struggling with this. What do you, if you actually don't know, not that this one, you know clearly what you should say, but let's say you actually don't know. You're like, how do you think I should go about this? That's different. You can respect the privacy of the person, but still get counsel, right? Um, it's different from saying, ah, you know this girl or this guy, they just reached out to me. Uh, exactly. It's not, don't gist about it. You know, they are struggling. Say, ah, so yeah, yeah, yeah so they are struggling. No, it is well. God will help all of them. That's irresponsible. Um, that's irresponsible. If anything, respect the privacy of the person. And check your heart when you are is it just to entertain each other or are you are you presenting it as an opportunity to learn to grow to to hear counsel again it's all about the motive it's all about the motive um but i think regardless of the motive respecting the privacy of the person if it is something personal is it it's 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 a very 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 huge part of spiritual maturity does that answer your question I hope that answers your question. Any other question? Is there any question I've not answered in the chat? You're welcome. You're welcome. Any other question? Any other questions? Charity, do you have a question? Has it been answered or what? Okay. I think, well, if you have any questions, um, you can always, always, uh, reach out to me right um i think now you could um maybe faith or you put my number in the chat uh if you have any questions just 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 let me know don't worry i won't share it with my partner <laughs> i wouldn't share your name <laughs> i will surprise all of you people say I, I just forgot to wear my ring today that's that's why <laughs> and also um if you want to listen to today's teaching again it's going to be uploaded wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, someone can help put that in the chat as well. Um, the links to wherever, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify. So I actually would recommend listening to teachings again. I was talking to a friend of mine. That was very impressive. She was telling me about how she was listening to, I think she was in the teachings, actually, Galatians. She said she listened to it again. I think it took her about 12 hours or so of almost non-stop listening to get through i said wow even i have not done that <laughs> so um if you need to listen to it again it's it's always available um if you know anyone that needs this uh <laughs> mommy and if i catch you um if you know anyone that needs this please share with them um share with if it blesses you share with people that also need to hear this we've talked a lot about um a lot of things actually today so it would do well you would do well to go back and just reflect i think one major theme that we should take away from today is checking the motives of our heart 
checking the sensitivity of our of our conscience checking the sensitivity of our conscience all right we'll pray and then we continue from first timothy 4 verse 12 um next week thank you faith um let's pray dear lord thank you so much for your word thank you that every time we we come back to your word we're left with things to learn we leave with things to reflect on things to to apply and to work on and lord i pray that everything we've covered in today's teaching is established in our hearts i pray that we're able to apply it it will not just stop at the hearing it will not just be that oh we were we we felt touched we felt moved we felt challenged but that by your spirit we would actually apply these truths to our lives I pray for everyone here who is struggling with godly exercise and I pray for strength. I pray for communities around them that would spur them up to growth. I pray for consistency and intensity in their walk with you. And I pray that as believers will be those that our lives will be testaments of growth. In Jesus name, amen, amen, amen. All right, let's let me share my screen. We'll take the benediction. So graciously prepared to us by Buki and I. <laughs> it's like an ad. And then we we call it a day. All right. Feel free to unmute yourselves. Let's read together. One, two, go. I am, I am a, a diligent, diligent student and doer of the word. I am a teacher of the word. The word is profitable for my growth. By the word, my growth, I am trained in the word. I am trained in the word. Hallelujah. Thank you all for your time. Um, I would see you all next week by God's grace. Happy Valentine's Day. My wife and I sent. Sent <laughs> 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 our regards. Um, have a great week. Bye. <laughs>